Hi everyone, I'm John. Glad you're with us again for Calvary Online. If you've been joining us regularly this fall, you know we've been studying the New Testament book of Hebrews together in a series that we've called Greater Than. And we are right in the thick of it now, the main portion of the book of Hebrews, which draws on all sorts of Old Testament history and background. Honestly, I would be surprised if some of you aren't saying, why does this matter? I mean, chapters 7, 8, 9, and 10 all go into so much detail about things that haven't even existed for thousands of years, like an ancient priesthood which practiced animal sacrifices in a sanctuary, a holy place that only priests could go in, and a even more special holy place that even they could only go into once a year for the purpose of sacrificing animals. So, come on. There are no longer any priests in Judaism. The sanctuary or the holy place, the temple was destroyed thousands of years ago in the first century, and animal sacrifice feels barbaric. And then, today, we're going to look at 46 verses in chapter 9 and the first part of chapter 10 in Hebrews that are all about the Old Testament sanctuary and sacrifices. Why should we spend our time talking about any of it? Why is any of this stuff that we're unearthing and discovering in the book of Hebrews relevant to us today? Because it deals with the most serious problem that any of us will ever come across. It confronts the most severe issue that we will ever face. Sin. It's a word we don't like to use. A word which feels kind of judgy and for sure old-fashioned. Sin is like the last thing that any of us want to talk about. And sin is much more serious than any of us think it is. In our day-to-day, we smirk at sin. We ignore sin. We excuse sin. We even celebrate sin. We think it's just not that big of a deal. But look at me with the second part of verse 22 of chapter 9 of Hebrews. Grab your Bible and open it with me there. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. We'll look at the second part of the verse. It says, Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. Sin is so serious that without the shedding of blood, it can't be forgiven. So whether we recognize it or not in our society today, sin is absolutely serious. So serious that when it occurs, death is the outcome. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. Or, to put it another way, the wages of sin is death. The punishment for sin, the penalty for sin is death. It's serious. It is the greatest problem that we face. And these four chapters, 7, 8, 9, and 10 of Hebrews all deal with it. Honestly, all of Hebrews deals with it. And frankly, the entire Bible deals with the seriousness of sin. That's what it's all about. Our greatest problem and God's gracious 
provision. That's why these chapters matter. So we obviously can't look at all 46 verses in detail together, but here's how they flow. Just look at verse 1 of chapter 9. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. This introduces the description of the sanctuary. Verses 1 through 10 point paint a word picture of the tabernacle. This sanctuary, this mobile place of worship which was used by the nation of Israel while they wandered in the wilderness after they were free from Egypt. God gave them specific instructions of what this tent would look like and how it could be and would be and should be arranged. It traveled with them through the wilderness and it was the center of worship for God's people until the temple was built in Jerusalem. We're making a diagram available of what it looked like for all of our life groups through our discussion questions, so you can check it out and orient yourself around those verses with your life group. We'll put a link to those questions in the description below if you'd like to see what it looks like. There were two sections in the tabernacle, the holy place and the most holy place, which is often called the holy of holies. And verse 7 of chapter 9 tells us that into the second, the most holy place, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. That's what would happen in the tabernacle. Animal sacrifices of bulls and goats performed by the priests, which were offered before God on behalf of the people for their sins. Then verses 11 through 22 compare the sacrifice the priests would offer with the sacrifice of Jesus. And blood is one of the main themes. It's mentioned 10 times in those verses. When sin occurs, death is the outcome. And God made provision under the Old Testament system that sins could be atoned for by animal sacrifice. This all would have been so familiar to the first century Christians who heard this sermon or read this letter because all of this was a visible reminder to them of how serious sin is. And they were familiar with it because of their background in Old Testament Judaism. Prior to following Jesus, they were Jewish. And so these rituals and traditions and the Day of Atonement and the temple and sacrifice and the priesthood, all of it would have been familiar to them. Blood, they would have known, was required for the high priest to enter the most holy place, which is where the presence of God dwelt on the earth. Without the shedding of blood, remember, there can be no forgiveness of sins. Then, verses 23 through the end of chapter 9 explain how all of this stuff that happened on the earth in the tabernacle was actually a copy of the holy place, the eternal dwelling place of God, heaven. Verse 24 of Hebrews 9 says, For Christ has entered not into holy places, made by hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. The idea that what happened in the earth, on the earth, in the Old Testament system was a 
copy of a great reality in heaven isn't just some idea that was invented by the author of Hebrews. It's what God said to Moses as he was giving him all of these instructions on how to build the tabernacle. In Exodus 25, verse 40, God said, And see that you make them, Moses, after the pattern for them, which is being shown you on the mountain. The purpose of the Old Testament system was to point to a greater reality, to be a copy, a a pattern, or a foreshadow of what would one day be revealed to all of us in Jesus. But there was a built-in problem to this Old Testament system. Check out verse 4 of Hebrews 10. It says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Those recurring sacrifices had to happen every year. Every year, the high priest would have to go into the most holy place to offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people. Every year, over and over again. Those sacrifices weren't able to totally take away sin. They were a reminder of sin for the people. They were the image of sin being forgiven, but it wasn't permanent. The blood of animals could never completely take away sin. It would have to happen on a yearly basis. That's a big problem. Even a God-ordained system of religious rules and regulations isn't sufficient enough to fully and finally forgive sins. Do you see how serious sin actually is? I think there are a couple reasons why we don't totally understand and underestimate how serious sin is. First, We all, every one of us, overestimate how good we actually are. You know, we say it all the time. I'm I'm a good person. I'm at least better than the people I read about or hear about. My life isn't really harming another person. I'm, I'm pretty good. Sure, there are other people that I know of who probably live a better life than me, but, I mean, does it really matter? So, when we compare ourselves to others, most of the time, we feel pretty good about who we are. Here's the thing, though. When we really think about it, when we pause to consider our life, we realize we're not as good as even we want to be. Like, if I lose my temper afterwards, I think, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Or maybe we didn't get the school assignment done on time, or we forgot about a meeting at work, and so we lie to get out of it. And then we think, why do I do that? The truth is, we know we're not as good as even we want to be. We overestimate how good we are. We don't even live up to our own self-standard of goodness. I mean, after we lose a temper or tell a lie or linger on a website or whatever it is, so often after that happens, we'll promise ourselves, I'm not doing that again. It's not going to happen again. And then maybe it's okay for a while, but the next time we're running late, we yell at the kids again. 
Or even if we're able to overcome some of our problems, there, there are always others that confront us. We overestimate how good we actually are. This is why the Bible is so helpful for us. Because it gives us an accurate assessment of things. It clearly and simply helps us see that no matter how good we think we are, the truth is, every one of us deals with sin. For all have sinned, Romans 3.23 says. No exceptions, no exemptions. We all have sinned, me and you. And as we can see from our verses today, the penalty for our sins is serious. When sin occurs, death is the outcome. We overestimate how good we are, and we underestimate how good God is. All of this talk about blood and sin and sacrifice throughout our verses today should not only remind us of the severity of sin, but also of the holiness of God. It's not just that God gets annoyed with us and then wants to punish us. It's that his moral character, which is completely and totally perfect and is altogether different than ours, he, because of that, cannot stand sin. He cannot tolerate it. It cannot exist in the presence of God. We underestimate how good God is. He is holy. Holy doesn't mean like super religious or even morally superior. It means that God is so perfect in his character that he is different from us. That he isn't even in the same category that we are. He is set apart from us, completely and totally different from you and from me. When we underestimate how good God is, we try to make him like one of us. We make God in our image. We try to make him more like a human. We think, well, you know, if I was God, I'd give all these people a little bit of a break. I wouldn't be so serious. Everybody makes a mistake now and then. It's just not that big of a deal. But that line of thinking misunderstands the holiness of God. Because of God's holiness, sin must be dealt with. And Jesus dealt with it completely, according to Hebrews 9, verse 12, which says, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Compare that to verses 11 through 14 of chapter 10. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Jesus did what the Old Testament system never could. He offered 
for all time, a single sacrifice for sin. And then he did what no Old Testament priest ever could. Rather than stand daily, constantly offering sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God because his sacrifice had been received by God. It was pleasing to God. He could now, because of it, sit in his presence and his work was finished, never needing to be offered again. And because Jesus is seated in the presence of God, we if we're his followers, can confidently draw near to God's presence. There is no longer any need for a sacrifice to happen. It already did. It won't need to happen again. It is finished. Before Jesus went to the cross for this final sacrifice, he shared a meal with his closest friends. And after they had eaten this meal, he took a cup and he said to them, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. I now go to do what only I can do as the perfect, sinless son of God. The blood of bulls and goats could never take away sins. The blood of an animal isn't sufficient to pay our penalty. Even the blood of a human couldn't atone for the sin of another. But the blood of the son of God Jesus Christ, in all of its glory and eternal goodness and divine perfection, could be poured out for you and for me. And now he waits, seated, until that time that he will return. And God will make his enemies a footstool for his feet. We will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And if you, my friend, have received salvation through Jesus, then it changes everything. He has overcome your greatest problem for you. The Apostle Paul says in a letter that he wrote to Titus in chapter 2, verse 11 through 14, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. That's the idea of sanctification that was spoken of in verse 14 of Hebrews 10, that we are being sanctified because of the work of Jesus. And we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness, that's sin, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We've seen throughout our series that Jesus is greater than so many things, greater than Old Testament prophets, greater than Old Testament leaders like Moses and Abraham, greater even than the supernatural beings, the angels, greater than priests. My friends, Jesus is greater even than our greatest problem. Jesus is greater than sin. 
If you've never considered before how serious sin is, I want you to know most of all that God's solution for sin is found in his son, Jesus Christ. And he is greater than my sin. He is greater than your sin. And he invites you to be forgiven forever by him. It doesn't matter what you've done. There's no sin that's too great for our great Savior. If you think, there's no way God could love me after what I've done or how long I've ignored him, I want you to know that according to Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us to solve our biggest problem. Jesus is greater than sin. Our Father in heaven, We thank you for the reminder from this text of how serious sin is and how great our Savior, Jesus Christ, is. That he's greater than our sin. That he is greater than this Old Testament system of sacrifice. That he has accomplished what only he could, the permanent removal of sins from the people of God. I pray for any friend who is far from you today. I pray for any friend who is watching who who has not ever considered how serious sin might be. I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would reach into their heart and turn them to you, God. Remind them of your love for them. Remind them of the sacrifice that the Son of God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, paid on their behalf. We give you thanks, God, for the blood of Jesus in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen.